to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, disaster planning, emergency response, resiliency, crisis communications, and anything that can be related to those fields. As always, I'd like to remind anyone who's listening, if there is a specific subject you'd like us to talk about on the show, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free to send me an email. If you go to the Voice America page for Preparing for the Unexpected, there is a button down at the bottom, uh, email host or send host a note. I forget the exact wording, but you just click on there. You can send me a note. I do respond to all messages, and we'll see about getting you on the show or we'll see about finding someone who can talk about your subject. And I'd like to uh, tell everyone, uh, you may remember last year, I was at Continuity and Resilience uh, Today conference in Toronto. I will be there again this year, May 29th and May 30th in Toronto, and I'm looking to uh, do something with the show there. I'm not sure quite what we're going to do yet, but uh, hopefully maybe uh, do something interesting and get some uh, more interesting guests on the show to talk about some more varied subjects as well. My guest today, uh, I met at the Disaster Recovery Journal Conference in Phoenix in uh, September 24th, I believe it was when we had our live broadcast, and he was uh, gracious enough to come over and spend uh, 12, 15 minutes with us, uh, kind of giving us a little bit of an overview of his uh, presentation, and uh, I invited him to come and join us here today to kind of uh, talk about, you know, uh, give him more time to expand on what he told us on uh, in, in Phoenix. So I'd like to welcome to the show uh, his... Uh, um, topic was uh, Beyond Tabletops. So if you attended a DRJ, um, you'll know it was a great presentation. So I'd like to welcome to the show, Mr. Joe Bechtold. Joe, welcome to the show. Hi, Alex. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yourself? I am doing pretty good. Good. I know it's uh, a little, well, hopefully it's not too late in the day. I know we're recording in the evening here, but uh, hopefully everything is not too late for you. No, no, no problem whatsoever. Great. Um, can you give us a, a bit of a, a background on yourself? You know, uh, a little bit of bio. Tell us about yourself and you know how you got into the business continuity disaster recovery world. Sure, no problem. So I started my career in 2008, which was uh, probably about the heyday of Department of Homeland Security. So my first job out of college was actually in the police department, not as a sworn officer, but helping with their security program. And one of the side duties that I ended up with was helping them prepare for an emergency if there was uh, an electrical outage or a pandemic uh, or the like of those. So I was like, hey, I, I kind of like this stuff. Uh, not more than just a little, maybe a lot. Um, so it kind of <laughs> redirected me from my original career path. Um, and then I joined the Air Force and the Air National Guard. And I did emergency management there while also working public sector 
uh, emergency management. And then I got a little bit tired of government, so I decided, hey, let's go to private sector. So that's where I have been for about the last five years. It's interesting how everybody tends to fall into this industry by accident, <laughs> or at least quite a few do. Yep. So, uh, as I mentioned, your presentation was um, entitled Beyond Tabletops, you know, and exercising plans. A quick question, how come you called it exercising and not testing? So, I will tell you, in the, in the government world, um, <laughs> and that's where I get most of my experience with exercises, um, is there is no difference between testing and exercises. It's one and the same. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, so when I use verbiage here today, right, um, just I test and exercise are two interchangeable terms for me. There's not a difference between the two. Okay. Just make it clear for our listeners so they understand, uh, you know, where you're coming from. Um, so why exercise? You know, why do we need to so why, exercise yeah. our, our plants? So it's not just because the regulators tell us, right? So we exercise or we test for three specific reasons. And it all, it really boils down to, you know, complete validation of your program, whether it be your plans and seeing if those match actual actions, um, if they cover all the pieces of the puzzle that are required for the response. It's whether your training program is good. Do your um, people that are being put in positions for response and recovery, do they know what they're supposed to do? Do they know how to access their resources and the like? And at the end of the day, if both of those two things fall into place, you have confirmed that your continuity program is solid. It's doing its job, right? You're not only meeting regulator requirements, but you are actually prepared to respond to recover from an event. Do you, do you find that you know, with all the exercises you have been a part of, is it better to find um, gaps in your plans when you're exercising or it, from the perspective of executives, it's better not to find anything? Well, what's your view? So my philosophy on this is that if you design and facilitate an exercise that has zero lessons learned, zero actions to take out of it, you have failed as an exercise designer. The reason is, is because there is no better place to find your problems than in an exercise. You don't want to find your problems when you had a real event. So don't make it, you know, cupcake easy, right? So that everybody <laughs> feels good at the end. You have to make it hard so that you could say, hey, here's where my, our problems are. Now we know what to work on. Exercises will guide after, you know, you get your, you put your initial plans in place. You do your initial training. Exercises tell you where to focus your time afterwards. Do you build on previous exercises? You know, if you had one exercise and you found, let's say, just five gaps, you know, five actions or something, your next exercise, do you challenge those five to make sure that you fix them and try to find additional or, you know, do, do you keep building or how do you do that? Yeah, so so I don't want to say that it's a hard and fat in my mind anyway. So everything I'm going to say is my opinion, right? Everybody's going to have their own opinion on this. I don't think right. it's a hard and fast rule that says if you had a failure on a specific topic on your exercise, your next exercise has to cover it. Um, now, that doesn't mean you don't validate that the problem is fixed, but there's multiple ways to validate it. It depends on the granularity of the problem, right? So if it's a very specific item on, let's say, a pandemic plan or or a line of business 
uh, process um, plan. Do you throw out the other exercise that you need to do for the other line of business or the other scenario-specific plan just so you can test it? Probably not. Um, do you? But at some point in time, when it comes time to retest that plan or retest that process, yes, you want to make sure you try to hit on as many of those as possible without, you know, kind mm-hmm. of th- throwing out your plan, your, your exercise plan, uh, because of one bat, will, you know, some action items out of an exercise. So one of the things I'll mention with this is that exercises are not just, you know, we, we plan year to year and say, okay, we're going to do an exercise. Usually mm-hmm. you're going to want to do like a three to five year plan that says, okay, you know, in this year I'm going to do this type of exercise. And then it's going to build up a little to a little more complexity to the next uh, in the next year and then a little bit more complexity in the other one. Um, maybe you're going to hit different audiences in different years. So it's, it's not so easy to always guarantee that every time there's a uh, action item that you mm-hmm. have to hit it in the next exercise. Well, you, you started, you hinted on my very next question is what type of exercises are there? All right. So, I boil exercises down to three different types. There are tabletops, which is what most people are familiar with and what I try to, you know, rail against as much as possible because they're pretty much <laughs> the least effective. Um, so those are being exercise, those being exercises that you sit people in a room, you have a facilitator stand at the front, you go through some PowerPoint slides, that person asks questions, of the audience, the audience answers back, and you keep going through the deck that way. That is a tabletop for me. So the other two exercise types that are functionals and full scales. So a functional exercise, depending on type of audience that you're dealing with, and I say that is typically when you're talking about response or recovery, you have two audiences. You have the role players, the people in the field, the ones that are fixing things or, or recovering certain aspects. And if you're talking about an IT environment, and then you have decision makers, right? The people mm-hmm. looking at the big picture saying, this is, this, other than RTOs, right? This, this process is more important than this process, or let's work on this critical project first and this one second. Those are your decision makers. So in a functional exercise, if you're talking decision makers, you're going to put them in that same conference room that we did the tabletop, but you're going to walk out of the room after you introduce the exercise, and then they're going to get phone calls, or they're going to get emails, or however that information is going to flow in a real event. They're sitting in that room by themselves getting that information. That's a functional for decision makers. If you're so talking you're re- about role players, right, that's them yeah, that's taking a real specific look at recovering like one server or one application. It's narrow in scope as far as it doesn't cover every aspect of a response, right? And then the last one is the full scale, which takes role players, decision makers, and then they play the whole scenario through. So what about, um, I've heard with the full scale exercises where some companies tend to, you know, plan beyond belief. And then there's, uh, I've heard of others that have just kind of announced it within a day or something. You know, which do you prefer? Do you know, because I think one leads towards planning the test, ta- sorry, exercise, planning the exercise rather than exercising the plan. 
So what are your thoughts with, you know, unannounced and announced so things? Okay, so you're, yeah, so you're, you're, you're worried about the, the pre-gaming, per se, of an, of an exercise. Yeah. Um, so regardless of exercise type, there, that's always a concern. Um, I, I guess I'd be hard-pressed to, to know of very many business environments that you can't really let people know that the exercise is occurring. But the things that you can hold back are your scenario, the types of curveballs you're going to throw them, um, mm -hmm. and the likes. Because, you know, there, there's lots of instances out there. If you look at um, exercises gone bad, and you definitely don't want to be that person, right? So you think about <laughs> a few years ago, there was a, a college that held an active shooter drill. Didn't tell anybody on campus, right? And, and people died because they thought it was real, and it's because, yeah. hey, we wanted to do a no-notice, blah, 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 right? So more than likely, you're not going to do no-notice. No, no if you're good at your exercise design, you're still going to throw them off anyway, no matter how much they, they pregame it, right? You, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't lay out, okay, here's the scenario, guys, and the first section, I'm going to tell you this and this and this. You don't want it that, right? But on this yeah. date, we're doing an exercise, and it'll be from 8 to 4 or whatever the time frame is. Well, then you're kind of giving everything away, right? They they know what to expect, and they they're already probably put their responses and their plan together as to how they're going to address that if you tell them ahead of time. Yeah, if you give them the scenario exactly, but I'll tell you, as much as there is a concern for that, you still see people mess it up, right? So you yeah. can <laughs> you can hold an exercise and you can put the plan right in front of them. And you can go through the exercise and never see them open the plan. So, you know, sometimes it, it doesn't matter how much it's pre you're still going to find problems. That's true. I, I've been in a lot of uh, large simulation exercises, and the person who wrote the plan knew it so well, they almost never opened the binder until they found until they thought of something going, oh, uh, oh, here's a little idea. And they'd open it, scribble a couple of notes, and then close it again. <laughs> So you, it, it makes you wonder who are we actually, what are we actually exercising, him or the plan? Yeah, and but if he's not opening it, you have no idea if that plan is saying exactly what he's doing, right? So that's, that's a whole right. other aspect of the design is the evaluation, right? The evaluation should be like we take this plan, and if this plan says we do step one through ten, you should be evaluating exactly what that plan says. Not that you quote unquote successfully resolved the scenario. But did you play according to your plan? Mm -hmm. um, and I'll tell you, if you if you can get your guys, if, you know, my experience on this is if you can get your people to just open the plan, you pretty much won the game already, right? So if you get an exercise and they open the plan, then it's not a failure of just understanding the process. It's now I can make, make actual improvements to my program because they're using the plan as opposed to, Hey guys, you didn't use the plan again, so let's do another training that tells you, please use your plan in the exercise. Mm -hmm. Have you had any instances where, uh, from your own experiences, where you had a, uh, a an exercise of some some level, you had the plan in front of you, and found that the scenario didn't align with the plan? You know, it, 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 uh, it, uh, how do I express this? No, no, I, I think I, I fully understand your, your, your question, right? Um, okay. So the answer is most definitely, right? Um, and very early on in the exercise planning process for me, 
I can determine whether or not that they're going to be successful in the exercise based on how their plan reads. So, you know, what do you do in those situations? Well, you kind of have two options. You can either kick it back to them and say, Hey, I know your plan is broken. Here's how it's broken. Fix it. Because I, I don't have to exercise you to tell you what's wrong. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Or you can exercise it and say, told you so, right. This is all the things that I knew you were going to mess up on because your plan was written poorly. Now, yeah. you know, it's for sure. Now go fix it. Yeah. And that's going to be more of an audience kind of thing, right? Where does your, yeah. aud- does your audience really need to, to fail to fix their problems or will they take your input before the exercise and fix it? Yeah, you don't want to set anybody up for, you know, intentional failure. You know, you want them to, to learn at the same time, right? Yep, and, you know, dep- depending on kind of how your role is in your organization, you're probably responsible for the planning and the exercising. So it doesn't look very good on you that if they use the plan and put a plan in front of them, that makes them mm-hmm. fail. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to come off looking good yourself. And you, you kind of destroy your own credibility. Yep. Well, we've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking today with Mr. Joe Bechtold um, with his presentation from the Disaster Recovery Journal Conference in Phoenix about uh, uh, exercising beyond uh, tabletops. (laughs) And we'll be right back with Joe. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Our humanity is a thing we take for granted, but it takes many forms, and it requires much of us to fully express it. Listen to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human, with host Dr. Leanne Nguyen. This program will explore topics about survival, fulfillment, hope, connection, being fully alive to ourselves and to others. Guests are people whose life experience inspires us to reflect on these questions. Tune into On Living, broadcasting live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. 
Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we're talking with Joe Bechtold um, about his presentation at the DRJ conference in Phoenix uh, about exercises, you know, beyond tabletops. Joe, in our first segment, you mentioned that uh, tabletops were kind of the least effective. And, you know, I, I tend to agree with you, especially if they happen all the time. But when do you think they're actually a benefit? When, when can they actually help? So I would suggest that the best time to use a tabletop exercise is with a new plan um, or new people right? Or anything that touches that plan, such as resources, anything that is new is where you would use uh, a tabletop. So it's tabletops are really just like a very a, a high level look of does this generally make sense, right? It doesn't get into any real details of the plan or the resources or anything like that. So it's a good introduction of people to the plan to point out maybe very big, obvious gaps that were missed in the planning process. So it's kind of like a, a, our first stepping stone, so to speak. Correct. Yep. So tabletops are your very bottom tier exercise. And then you're going to want to very quickly, and when I say quickly, is you only want to do maybe one or two tabletops before you move on to a more advanced exercise of functional or full scale. And that leads perfectly into the next subject, advanced exercise types. <laughs> what kind of... Um, uh, advanced exercises are there? And can you explain, I know you touched uh, at a high level earlier, but um, can you kind of identify what these advanced exercises are and what they kind of entail? Yeah. So I touched on functional exercises and full scales. Um, I'll real quick do a high level on those. I didn't miss one. So I'll, I'll, I'll mention that one in a second. So the functional for decision makers is putting them in the the war room and the emergency operations center, sending them information as they would come in real time without any assistance that they wouldn't get in a real scenario and having them work through a scenario. But it's only them. There's no real players out in the field. Um, for a role player, that's taken a very specific subset of a process and working it. For IT, we'd say restoring one application or maybe one server. Um, for you know hands-on type of stuff, it would be maybe fixing or starting a specific generator or... Um, recovering, let's say, just a, a, a single part of a workplace, those, those would be examples of functionals. A full scale is everything from start to finish, the, the people in the field, the people in the command center, and they're talking to each other and everything just like a real event without actually breaking things. The one that I missed is between tabletops and functionals. So it's your next step, and it's, it's what's called a game. Um, and a game is very similar to the tabletop where you have a facilitator standing at the front of the room, but you put people in a competitive environment, right? So it's not just them having a discussion with you, kind of trying to feel their way through the plan and feel their way through the scenario. It's them playing against something. So what can they play against? Well, you can split your participants up into two different groups. They can play against each other. They could play against time, or they can play against you as a facilitator. You can actively work to prevent their success. And that's 
your biggest differentiator between a tabletop and a game is you are putting some kind of aspect into that exercise that works against them succeeding. Can you give an example of how that would work? Because not, not too many people, I think, have used games. So games are very good, in my mind, for demonstrating to people where they have deficiencies when they don't want to realize that that's the case. Um, so one of the games that I have done in the past is um, a game that was specifically designed to demonstrate that the command center cannot control on-scene operations, right? So we can't have the person fixing the generator waiting for the command center to give them the go-ahead to do each and every single step, right? So I designed that game specifically to demonstrate that, hey, if you operate this way, your response will fail. However, if you operate according to the principles that we planned on and trained on, you can be successful. So in that, in a game instance, um, sometimes it's really good to run it twice, right? So run the game with the understanding of knowing how they are going to um, respond to it, demonstrate the failure, talk why they failed in the middle, and then run it a second time with them applying the lessons learned. That way it reinforces what you're trying to tell them so that next time they go, oh, maybe I shouldn't try to control on-scene operations and trust the people that I put in this position to do what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully everyone uh, takes note of that because that could be a fun you know, a fun thing to do rather than the usual boring, oh, here we go with the tabletop or here we go with the simulation. If you have, add some fun to it, which sounds like a game could be, you know, then you know, you're, you're hopefully bringing up the level of awareness and getting people to work together. Yeah, I mean, when you have, when you, most people are, are, are generally competitive, right? So if you put them in that environment where there's a clock on the wall that says you have to have your answers in five minutes and it's ticking down, you know, you last 30 seconds, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, or they're playing against another team, they want to win. So they want to try to do it right. And more apt to try to, it puts more stress on them like it would mm-hmm. be in a real environment that you're not going to get in a tabletop where they're just having a casual conversation with the facilitator. Yeah, where, where you know, uh, I would assume, because I've, I've been through this myself, but I would assume many uh, facilitators, including yourself, have gone through tabletops where people end up making assumptions all over the place. Oh, assumptions are always fun, no matter what exercise type you do. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, yeah, assumptions are to be really good at exercise design is being very clear on the uh, front end when you go into with your participants about what can and can't be assumed. And then also knowing where they're going to probably assume something or mess something up and how to fix that as you go through the scenario, because depending on, you know, which type of exercise you're doing, that can break a lot of things. Like if you're doing a full scale exercise and you're, player on the ground that is supposed to call everybody and tell them there's a fire assumes that it just happened going to break the whole exercise right yeah, because you need him to call mm-hmm. certain people to, to get kicked off so um assumptions are big big deal in exercise planning oh i agree um, i i think for myself my thought is always the only assumption that will be proven correct during a real situation is that all your assumptions are wrong you know. Yep. So with all the, the different kinds of exercises, um, it got me thinking here as you were talking, 
Where do you think um, suppliers and vendors and partners should get involved, or should they even get involved? Well, if if you're asking if they should get involved, the answer is absolutely yes, right? You know, I think it's more of a question on whether or not they will. Um, Either, you know, my experience is either being the person asked um, to participate or asking the vendor to participate. It's kind of like opening yourself up to scrutiny in a way that you probably don't want to do. So, you know, you can contractually require that they do it. I don't know how many companies are extremely successful with that. Um, Usually what I've seen is that people will say, we'll provide you our exercise results, so we'll do exercises. Now, you can critique that, right? But you can't – I've very rarely seen where they're going to let you come in and – even facilitate their exercise, much less play in yours. Now, if they're not the focus of it, maybe a vendor is your backup. Maybe they'll be more apt to play, right? Because it's not putting them in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, but right. Yes, you absolutely should if you can. Unfortunately, I just it's just not very common. Yeah, I, I know there, there's a lot of reluctance to do that because um, I, I know from actually talking to somebody at DRJ, they said that uh, you know if they had their vendor come in and they found mistakes in their plan, they would look bad in the eyes of their vendor, and it could have you know they could take that back to their company saying, "Hey, our so and so partner here is not very good at BCP and DR." And then it almost has you working against you know designing an exercise where you can find failures, right? Because nobody mm-hmm. wants to demonstrate to their um, to their customers, right, that. Hey, I have a failure in my business continuity plan, right? They, it, it's just it just got, it, it makes it it makes it much more difficult for right. everybody involved. So you mentioned this uh, in, in passing um, exercise design. So what do you mean by that? What is that? So exercise design is very much a process, just like planning is, and you have to go through a certain level of sequential steps to really end up with a good exercise. Um, so as far as exercise design is concerned, I really have three main takeaways, right. For people is number one, first and foremost, like the biggest thing in the whole world is that it's exercise objectives, not exercise scenarios. So if you are sitting down and saying, what type of scenario should I use for my next exercise? You are wrong, right? So I'm just real simple. You are wrong. You should be saying, what objectives or what do I want my participants to demonstrate in this exercise? Sometimes mm-hmm. they'll go hand in hand, right? So if you have scenario specific plans and you want to see if it's effective, your objective may be to test that scenario specific plan, but it shouldn't be you just coming up with a scenario. Mm-hmm. Cause then you get into more granular questions of, well, what about that scenario specific plan do I want to see? Yeah. As opposed to let's just do a cyber exercise, for example. Right. So that goes hand in hand with a couple other, you know, big things is um, completion versus evaluation exercises are not just uh, if you walk away from an exercise saying, yes, I did a tabletop, you're not a, you didn't do a good job of designing it. Um, you're not doing your company any justice with that. It should always be, here's our after action report or your hot wash or your lessons learned, whatever you want to call it, and says, here's what we did good. Here's what we did bad. Here's what we need to fix. 
And like I said, if you design an exercise and you don't have any action items at the end, you failed as an exercise designer. And then we already talked about player assumptions a good amount, but that is another key takeaway in exercise design. So that's some quick high-level ones. Do you want to get into some of the specific details of how to design an exercise? Sure. Empty your brain. Tell us everything you know. <laughs> everything? All right. We may need more than an hour, but... Um, <laughs> So I'm just going to go through some questions that you're going to want to ask. And I break it down into three steps. Um, being first, defining your exercise objectives, then developing your evaluation tools. And then at the last step is building an exercise scenario. Um, so these are my takes on it. And one of the things that I will tell you and your listeners, since I got this question a lot at the conference, is that I credit all my knowledge to Department of Homeland Security and FEMA. And I will be one of the first people to tell you, I don't think the federal government does very many things right, but exercises is something that they have done very right. So if you want to get really granular and real in-depth in this, you should look at the Homeland Security Exercise Evaluation Program. On the FEMA website, there's a free training that you can go through that is very, very good um, at giving you some basics on how to design exercises. A lot of the same stuff that I talk about. <clears throat> if you are in government or you want to try your luck with FEMA as private sector, there is a program called the FEMA Master Exercise Practitioner Program, the MEPP. It's a program I went through. It's about three weeks of classroom instruction from FEMA, and then those are broken down in one-week sessions. You go home, you do homework, you send it in, they evaluate it. Best program I've ever taken from FEMA. So if you want to know more than what I'm going to go over here, please, please look at those two resources. So The FEMA website. Um, yep. Um, okay. at, yeah, just... Google HCP or Google uh, FEMA MEPP, and you should be able to find those one of the first or two second links. Okay. So I, I went over the three steps, right, is, um, sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent there, but develop the, <laughs> develop the objectives, develop the um, evaluation guides, and then um, determine the scenario. Throughout those three steps, we need to be coordinating heavily with the stakeholders. And what I mean by the stakeholders is a number of things, right? It's your leadership within business continuity, wherever that may fall. It's the leadership of the people being tested. It is managers of the people being tested, but why they're involved is a little bit different. That's more for time and, and resources that may need to be prepositioned. Um, you have to be doing that throughout the whole process. Because if you don't, you don't want your exercise to fail because, as we talked about, a failure to communicate, right? Not letting people know what's going on. That's where you're going to flush out those communications of, hey, by the way, we're doing an after-shooter drill. Please don't be alarmed. And you see people with weapons running around the campus. Right. Well, that's, the stakeholders are, um, I guess, anybody with a vested interest, right? And some would be more involved Correct. than others. Yep. And some of those people will be part of your exercise planning team, right? If they're part of your exercise planning team, which means they're going to get the full details of what you're evaluating, what your scenario is, 
they shouldn't be playing in the exercise, right? So usually those are people that are either inconsequential to the exercise or are people that you have a good secondary backup for that don't need to be tested because, hey, I've done this 20 times. I'm really good at it. I'd rather see how my next in line does for this. Those are the people on your exercise team because they face it as business continuity professionals. We are spread pretty thin. We can't be experts on everything in our business. So we're going to need somebody from that business to help fill us in on the real granular details. And I guess they would help build the, the scenario and the objectives and everything, right? They, they could ha- actually help find areas to focus on. Yeah. And what's really good about that is then they have a vested interest in the exercise, right? Is the more mm-hmm. involved they are, then the more serious you know they're going to, that business is going to take it when you go to the exercise, right? Because if it's just you doing it all by yourself and getting a few emails here back and forth from people, how, how engaged are they really? Now, you may force them to be engaged in the exercise, but it's never going to be as good as those people that are like, hey, yeah, they, we've had these three problems over the last few months. It'd be really great if we could fit that in the exercise. Those are going to be your best ones as far as takeaways. And I guess that's perfect. You know, that's going to end our second segment. We're talking with Joe today, uh, Joe Beckfold, sorry, about uh, exercises, and we'll be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river. Like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. 
Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to preparing for the unexpected. Welcome back to the show. We're talking with Joe Bechtold about exercising our plans. Joe, during our break, we were having a chat there um, about... uh, you know, uh, our stakeholders. Um, can you kind of uh, give a recap of what we spoke about during the break? Yeah, so you were talking about, you know, one of the best things that you get out of an exercise or you feel satisfaction um, from as a designer is when those people have those aha moments when things click. And, you know, my comment to you, and this, I've seen multiple examples of this, is when you have somebody like that in the audience that the exercise resonates with, that they finally figure it out, Business continuity goes from, hey, this, you know, it's a waste of my time, this 5% of my job, I've got to get back to real business. And you have an advocate then in the business, one that understands the process, one that is engaged. These are the people that are going to help you design exercises in the future or the people that are going to stand up in the middle of the room in the next exercise at the next real event and say, you guys are doing it wrong. We need to do this, this, and this. <laughs> Best, maybe one of the best things you can get out of an exercise is getting those advocates within the business. Yeah, because it, it, it'll help the next exercise. It'll help when you have to update you know, plans. It'll help across the board. You, you, you've got a champion. Absolutely. So let's move to our, our next topic that we wanted to touch base on. Um, evaluation tools. Now, I'm assuming you mean you know, how we evaluate our, our exercises, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the one of the things that I've noticed moving from um, government to private sector and government doesn't necessarily always do it the greatest either is how we how we choose to evaluate exercises. And I think we touched on this a little bit earlier, right? We, if you're planning an exercise and your success measure is whether or not they make it through at the end not a very good evaluation, right? You need to be testing specific aspects of your program, which most of the time boils down to your plan or your people. So with that, we have to have tools that inform whoever's being an evaluator what what to look for, right? So when they get this piece of information, what should they do, right? In what order? And those are the types of that's the type of information that you're going to follow, find in what's called an exercise evaluation guide. Again, if you look the Google exercise evaluation guides, you'll see a bunch of templates that you can steal from FEMA. Maybe the content of them aren't, is not really going to resonate with you, but you can take the column headers and the rows and, and kind of design your own. I mean, that's what I've done for my exercises. So mm-hmm. when you build these tools – Right. They, they need to inform whoever that evaluator is, what they're supposed to look for, when they're supposed to look for it, and then how they're supposed to score it. Right. Did they, is it, is it a go, no go, right? Either they did it or they didn't, or is there kind of some leeway there um, and the like. So one thing I'll mention right now is as you move to more advanced exercises, it's very hard to be the facilitator and evaluator. So you're going to need to bring people from that exercise team to help evaluate the things that you're looking at. So two reasons for that. Number one, as a facilitator, you do not have time to make sure the exercise is going down the correct path 
and also watching everybody in depth to be able to evaluate them, right? And a lot of times in these responses, there's people doing things simultaneously. How can one person possibly observe all those things and evaluate them accurately? The second reason is something we also talked about earlier is that you may not be an expert in every single business process and recovery process and procedure. Mm -hmm. For example, if you were to sit me in front of or right next to an IT guy and he was supposed to recover an application, all I could tell you is whether or not he did it or didn't do it, right? I'm, I don't have technical expertise to really understand what he's doing, and it's going to be very hard. You know, I'm not going to want to – you don't want the evaluator to sit there and play 20 questions with the guy either. What, what does this mean? What, is, what are you doing here? So you're going to need what is a subject matter expert for certain aspects of uh, response procedures to be evaluating as well. So you have to have those two aligned. You know, don't put a business person beside an IT person using your example. Correct. So that flows into the exercise evaluation guides, right? Is not only do you, the, the exercise day is not showing up at the time of the exercise and giving, starting the scenario and giving the presentation. You're probably going to meet a few hours ahead of time with your evaluators or your your people that are players, whether they be quote unquote bad guys or they be victims or whatever, depending on, you know, your type of exercise and, and going through, here's the exercise guys. Here's the inform you know, here's the tools that I've developed for you ahead of time. What questions do you have? Here's the issues that I expect to see and the like, you have to prep your people on that exercise day too, and not just, they're seeing everything kind of like for the first, maybe not for the first time, but mm -hmm. getting some more insight before you walk onto the field per se. So as an observer or, or somebody who's watching, evaluating, do they have some sort of a, uh, uh, like a scoring mechanism, you know, as they're observing what's going on, you know, if they don't understand something, they may inadvertently say, oh, this went wrong when it kind of didn't, you know, do you define these kind of uh, grading mechanisms or, you know, like the rag status, red, amber, green, or, you know, that kind of stuff? Yeah, so... At the end of the day, it's it's going to be on you to decide what what works for your exercise and and what what are the specific aspects of of what you're evaluating. So, um, to give kind of some examples, right, is the more it, it advanced your exercise becomes, the more in depth and detailed your evaluation is going to be, right? You're, for example, I've been doing a lot of security exercises for my company right now. And we're looking at specific procedures and specific situations. But I don't just look at it as that this process go good or bad, right? There's specific aspects or questions that I'm asking. And these questions were developed with the entire team that I worked to put this together with. Um, and they were, you know, security managers at our, our different locations, you know, like we talked about the key stakeholders. Things like did they complete all the steps in that process? Yes, red, yellow, green, right? Red being they didn't do it at all. Yellow being they did it, but they messed up a little bit. Or green being flawless. Mm -hmm. But I ask that question, and I don't ask that question of, not of steps all completed and in order. In order is another line item in my exercise evaluation guide. So I go through 
between four to six questions for every single process, average those together, and then get a process score. And then the processes are averaged together to get a, a section score, and the sections are averaged to get an exercise score. Reason for that is because every site had its own plan for this type of event. So I could real quickly say, here's who did good in this process and who didn't do good process. Here's who did good in this inspection. And we could compare site to site. Maybe that's something you need. Maybe you need that granularity. Maybe you don't. It all depends on, it goes back to the objectives. The evaluation tools have to be very tied into your objectives. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you've got to know, did, this is what we said we were going to do. This is what we did. And then the findings, did we do what we said we were going to do? <laughs> right. And, 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 and you want to design the tools so that your evaluator can capture those kind of, you know, those things that you're, you're not 100% sure on or, you know, you think might go wrong but are not, and not just focus on, Here's the process, red, yellow, green, did they do it? Because some of the questions that I came up with, again, going to the security exercise was, did the participant understand what was going on, right? Maybe mm-hmm. they did the process fine, but they took 15 minutes to pull out their book, flip through it, find the right process, and address it. For a security officer in the field, that's not an adequate answer, right? But if they did the process, hundred percent, you would never capture that in a regular guide, right? So you have, when you're coming up with these guides, you have to think about what at, you know, all the aspects of that objective that you want, not just did they follow the process or did the process work? Cause it goes right. back into, it's not pr- the only process it's people. Do the people understand the tools that you provided them? That's right. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier on too, the, uh, about people who may have done exercises you know, eight, nine, ten of them, and now they need a backup person. So, you know, you maybe you're in that situation where you've got somebody new doing it for the very first time, and you have to, you know, is this the right person? You know, are the plans clear enough for this person to be able to follow? Absolutely. And and some of the things that you'll actually get out of these more advanced exercises are whether or not you have the right people in the right places. When you're having a conversation, pretty much anybody can have a conversation, right? Um, but when you put people in a stressful environment, you really see what kind of leader they are, right? It, they could be yeah. the type of leader that will not make a decision until they have all the information. And if you've ever been in a real event, you never have all the information. So That's you right. have to make a decision and go with it. Or you can have the exact opposite of the person that doesn't care what anybody else has to think and is just going to start barking orders and executing without getting all, without trying to find out what they can find out. Or you'll find out yes. the people that are really good at this and be like, he may not be the site manager, but that's the guy I really want in charge. Yeah. And you, 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 you don't, you don't find that stuff out until you do the more advanced exercises. That's true. So I'm going to ask you the question I'm sure is on everybody's lips right now. With all this evaluation, what are your thoughts on pass and fail? You know, that's a, that's a really, really good question. I don't know <laughs> if I have a very good answer for you. Um, 
as we talked about at the beginning, is that you don't want to design an exercise where you have no lessons learned. But at, but at the same time, is there is there a cutoff that says you pass or fail? I think my answer is going to be it depends. It's going to depend on your situation. If you're talking about a very mature plan, a very mature team, it should be a cutoff that says this is a pass or this is a fail. Um, because it's not like this is the first time we're doing it. It's not like this is new and we're just finding new gaps. It's really, we're validating whether or not it works. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a pass or fail is more likely, I don't know, I don't know if I want to say that, so I'm going to just pull that one back. Um, I have never done an exercise where I said somebody, quote unquote, failed. But if you put colors on it and you put percentages on it, sometimes they'll be their own worst critics and they'll, and they'll get the message without you saying they failed. Right. I've always looked at it, you know, if we find gaps or problems, it's a pass because I'd rather find, you even kind of hinted at it or in our, I think the first segment, you know, you want to find all those gaps up front. You don't want to be finding you have all these problems when something real occurs. So we only have uh, a couple of minutes left. So Joe is, I got one more question for you. What do you think the biggest challenge today is when it comes to exercising our plans? I think that the biggest challenge that we have is getting buy-in for those more hands-on exercises that are going to require touching something physical or taking some something virtual actually down. Um, because the, re- the reason is that, is that we, we can't impact real operations, but we also can't really validate if things work if we never work with that actual product, right? Everything is very theoretical if we're never turning the generator on or transferring 100% of our workforce from one location to another or actually taking down this server that is only in one data center and it's one of a kind, but it runs a bunch of critical processes for whatever reason that is. But we, we can't stop business, right? It's getting over that hump to get those things actually exercised or tested. And I think that's the best spot to, to end because um, we've actually come to the end of our show. Um, and I know that uh, both of us during the break, we both said that we both really enjoy, you know, exercises and tests, which, you know, I'm sure some people are probably going, they must be crazy, those two. But uh, I, I enjoy these and I know you do. I can hear it in your voice. I want to thank you very much, Joe, for uh, joining us today and giving us your insight um, with your uh, testing and exercises and you know, some of the things that uh, you you provided us. So thank you very much for joining us. Absolutely, Alex. Thank you for having me. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, hopefully we'll see you again at DRJ or some other conference. And um, to everybody uh, listening out there, uh, again, if there's something you want us to talk about, please feel free, send me an email. And I will be in Toronto at the CRT conference in May 29th, May 30th. And uh, thanks again to Joe for joining us and to everybody listening. Stay prepared, everybody.
Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.